Well, what does the Christian gospel have to say on a day like today? We have observed a two-minute silence together. I wonder what you thought of. I thought of my brother-in-law, who is in the army, and of the people and the friends that he has lost in service, as well as the world wars. It's a tradition, the silence, ingrained into our British psyche. We'll remember on Remembrance Day at 11am. As you may know, practising the two-minute silence began by royal request as a mark of the remembrance of those who fought in the First World War. In 1946, King George VI asked the nation to mark the first ever Remembrance Day with a moment of silence and reflection. The initial suggestion for silence came from Percy Fitzpatrick, a South African author and politician who was inspired by the daily silences observed in Cape Town during the Great War. One minute for thanksgiving for those who had safely returned, and one minute to remember the fallen. Silence seems an understandable response on a day like today, doesn't it? Silence to honour and remember those fallen. Silence because the guns fell silent. And silence for other reasons, perhaps, too. Those who fought or fight in war often find it difficult to speak about it. Some memories are just too painful. Others don't know how to put into words how war has touched their lives. Many today will be stretching their imaginations to try and grasp what others might be feeling. And thus silence feels unavoidable. Perhaps we all know that words sometimes simply don't cut it. War is one of the aspects of our human condition that reminds us of our brokenness. Our world is fragmented. None of us can fix it. It's not to say that we shouldn't play our part in the transformation of society. We should. We do. But the fragmentation is too strong for us to simply overcome it with good work. And it's a fragmentation which is clear in today's Bible reading. The book of Job is one of the most powerful books in the Bible. It's also one of the literary treasures of the world. It's a story of a good, prosperous, God-fearing man who who bad things happen to. His prosperity is taken away. His children are killed and he's afflicted with a terrible disease. He sits on a dung heap, scraping his ulcers with bits of pot while his friends come and offer him sympathy. When they see him, they weep aloud and sit with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights. No one spoke a word to him, for they saw how great his suffering was. The response of Job's friends was silence and presence, weeping with those who weep. This genuine, compassionate response, as we've said, says more than words. And it's the only real real thing that the friends got right in the story. 
But the reality of suffering in our world that the book of Job draws our attention to is another signpost of our brokenness. We see suffering on a global, national and individual level, don't we? Stays like today, we in particular remember death, evil and pain, even though we might also be remembering bravery, courage and sacrifice. Our human condition is distorted. Things are not as they once were, nor as they one day will be. But Christianity, the Christian gospel, is about good news. Indeed, the gospel is the public announcement that something wonderful really has happened that has changed the world. What is that something? It is that through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ about 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, the living God who made the world, rescued the world from sin, death and evil. When Jesus died on the cross as the innocent sufferer, like Job prefigured, he took upon himself the brokenness. He dealt with it for the whole world. He rose again victoriously three days later for us. He is present here with us now by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God invites all human beings everywhere, young and old, to look at Jesus and to find in him and through him the renewed world that is coming to pass. What is that renewed world? How can the cross and resurrection of Jesus have really made a difference if we still see pain and suffering today? Well, if you like, it's a bit like the difference between D-Day and V-E-Day. D-Day was the decisive moment of the Second World War, 6th of June 1944, that determined the outcome of the war. There was no real doubt about the future of it, but it wasn't over. The mopping up operations continued until VE Day on the 8th of May, 1945, when the war in Europe was over. And in a sense, we live between a D-Day and a VE Day. D-Day was the cross and resurrection of Jesus, the decisive moment when the outcome of the world was determined. And VE Day is the realisation of that new world to come. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament gave us an idea of what the renewed world, the reconciliation, would look like. In the message translation, this is written. The wolf will romp with the lamb, the leopard sleep with the kid, calf and lion will eat from the same container, and a little child will tend them. Cow and bear will graze the same pasture. Their calves and cubs grow up together, and the lion eats straw like the ox. The nursing child will crawl over rattlesnake dens. The toddler stick his hand down the hole of a serpent. Neither animal nor human will hurt or kill on my holy mountain. The whole earth will be brimming with knowing God alive, a living knowledge of God Open, ocean deep, ocean wide. It's a vision of renewal. 
where all things will be harmonised. Human relationships will be healed. The whole created order will be put right. Wrongs will be righted. Hurts healed. Sacrifices will be made up for. Distortions will be straightened out. His presence will fill the place. And everything done in love will not be lost. The seemingly insignificant moments of kindness, moments of goodness, will be gathered up and brought in. I heard a story about Oliver Cromwell, who had a huge and beautiful window of stained glass in Winchester Cathedral, smashed into a thousand pieces, presumably because it contained idolatrous images. And when his forces had gone, someone swept up all the pieces, waited until Cromwell's death, and then got them out and tried to resemble the window. Unfortunately, it proved too difficult a jigsaw, and they simply put it back all higgledy-piggledy, and now it looks like some modern art. God will do the same with our world, with us. He will put them back together so they fit into an overall picture and so the light of God may shine through it as it was always intended to do. The final book in the Bible, Revelation, gives this vision of a renewed creation also. It says here that it will be a place of healing for all the nations, a place where death has gone forever. Well, there will be no more tears, no more pain. Everything will be put right. And this is not a vision which encourages us to neglect the current situation, for the stress of the passage remains on the present. The message is that this renewed world awaits those who keep going, who live lives that anticipate the future now. It's a call to serve one another and our world that's in need. And when it comes to suffering, we all know there is no simple definitive answer. But yet we see in the Christian gospel a God who suffers alongside us. The clergyman John Stott once said, I could never believe in God if it were not for the cross. God is not a God who is immune from suffering. He's not looking on as an impassive observer far removed from the reality of our world. He is, in the words of Tertullian, a church father, the crucified God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He became one of us. He suffered in all the ways in which we suffer. He does not just know about suffering, but has suffered himself. He knows what we are feeling when we suffer. We're not alone in our pain. When, he, when we suffer, he suffers, yet has acted so that one day we won't. A few years ago, my brother-in-law, who I mentioned, was in Afghanistan in a freezing cold army tent under fire. The realities of brokenness and fragmentation, dislocation of our world, were more evident to him than ever before. It was in that season of black and white that he started to think again about meaning, purpose, Christian faith. Tried to figure it out with his head and heart what it might, meant, what it might mean if it was true. 
And what he found, what he discovered, as he, like many of us here, like many around the world, accepted and began to follow Jesus again. He found a new purpose, a new depth, a deep joy, even in times of suffering and tragedy. As we come to a close, at times of silence, times of reflection and remembering, we recall the storm of war and become aware again of the brokenness of our world, a brokenness within us all, yet a brokenness that Jesus Christ took upon himself for us on the cross. And in the resurrection began a renewed world, which one day will come to full consummation. Until then, we work for peace. We work for justice and healing now in all spheres of society, putting our trust in God and knowing that our hope is not fanciful, but secure. Let's pray together.